If that means I can make more shows, then okay. Yeah. So let's do it. Give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You hear that, Amazon? I'll direct one of your shows. Okay, you got me. <laughs> hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Kenneth Jackson. I'm an actor from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Trey Riley. I'm a writer-director from Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is Cinevibes. What did you watch this past week, my friend? Please tell me something good. Okay, well, you're probably going to be disappointed <laughs> when I say that I didn't watch too much. Did you watch um, Tenet again? I did. Just I did watch Tenet again. I did. I, <laughs> I spoke to a friend of mine who uh, I had told him my reservations about the film and my thoughts on it. And uh, he pretty much echoed the same stuff back to me. And like we had a nice discussion about it. But I didn't really have time to watch a lot of stuff. Whenever I wasn't working, I was doing uh, other stuff. and Doing your um, honey-do list. Yeah. <laughs> so I was... Um, but I didn't get around, and we talked about this just a second ago, but I went to the play uh, for Bryce here in Atlanta at Roll Call Theater, and... I was really happy to be there just because, you know, theater is slowly coming mm-hmm. back very reticently. Like, it's like hanging out in the shadows and it's peeking <laughs> its head out like, is it time? Can I come out now? And uh, so I went to an outside social distanced theater production. And uh, so that was my, I guess I could say, performance that I watched yeah. this week. <laughs> what about you? Well, I too had somewhat of a slack week, but I wanted to let the world know that I finally watched The Boys, Mm. season one. Yes. And if this is any consolation of how much I liked it, I crushed it in about three days (laughs) and stayed up way too late a few nights to knock out another episode. Just, uh, like, you know, we've had the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff, and honestly, I'm kind of just fatigued by all that. Mainly Marvel. DC has, to their credit, a little more originality in terms of differing their films, and they don't all have that, oh, I'm about to be emotional. Just kidding. I'm going to hit you with a joke. Like, that's all Marvel, every movie. Yeah. Except for Thor, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, like The Boys is not that. It's like a, oh, that's what that is? Let's do a 180 and make The Boys. Yeah. And so it's a really graphic, uh, crude uh, take on superheroes that actually are villains, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad guys doing shady stuff and kind of power hungry, letting it all go to their head. Yeah, it's like franchising out superheroes, and yeah. that's such a funny concept. It's like, like in the first episode, pop stars. They and this isn't giving anything away, but you know, if you haven't seen it, then I was probably the last person in America to not see it. So I'm assuming everyone has now. <laughs> um, yeah, they're talking about like 
demographics and if this superhero does that then they'll get like a bump in the 18 to 35 range with the like latino women and it's like yeah. what are they like it's just like <laughs> capitalism with superheroes yeah and that was a really interesting thing so i'm i'm glad it's out in the world mm-hmm. and if you can get past like some people are kind of like weak stomached or whatever right if you can kind of get over that it's actually got a lot of pretty uh cool things going on with it yeah i definitely am a fan of the boys i haven't they're doing the weekly releases now, which is kind of like... How do you feel about that? Honestly, I think it's... They're trying to throw it back to um, the days of television and cable. And they're trying to bring that back. And the reason I think they're doing that, and this is why I think that Disney does it with any of their mm. series, is because they want to keep you on as long as they can. And right. they don't want you to just hop on for a month, binge everything, and then hop off. So yeah. I think it's a ploy to keep people coming. It's also like, as humans, it's kind of like, oh, there's a cliffhanger. I can't figure it out until next week. So it definitely has like some play on our emotions. And I think they're using that, but I think they're mainly using it uh, for the wallets. Because if, you know, Netflix, they'll just drop a whole season of some something and people will be like oh yeah let's go binge it and watch right. it and then they binge it all in like one to two days and then they're like all right well what do i do now just rewatch it mm-hmm. um so i think it's definitely trying to keep them coming back was the first season a single dump yeah it like, was all, all the episodes at once all the episodes were at once and i watched them all and now they're switching it up and i think uh, you can't say that it's copying what uh, Disney is doing, but Disney did come forward with a very hard stance on there's going to be, like for The Mandalorian, it's going to be weekly releases. And right. sometimes maybe if it was two in a week, it was because of some reason, like holiday-wise. Mm-hmm. So I've heard even with Netflix, there's been discussion on weekly releases, and maybe there are some things that have been that way already. Do you know anything else about that? Or? I don't know about on Netflix. My Netflix surfing has been at an all-time low. <laughs> so There's just so much out there. Yeah. So I've been not surfing around looking at that sort of stuff, but I think that um, if they're going to do it, it's going to be a trend. It's kind of like the trends with cell phones where everyone yeah. was like, you know, they want to have... Uh, full screens and then it's like make the screen bigger make the screen bigger and so and then Then you're holding your laptop in your hand trying to talk on it (laughs) and then apple like gets rid of the headphone jack everybody else starts getting rid of the headphone jack and then uh, all these different innovations come around i think disney is probably trying to do that um but as i said this is something that cable does is like wait till next time Mm -hmm. right my take on it if we're just trying to look at it in any sort of positive way outside of them just wanting you to keep your subscription Mm -hmm. is that, and I kind of feel this way about Game of Thrones, is if you release the last season of Game of Thrones all in one weekend, Mm -hmm. people watch all of them. Yeah. They talk about it for a week, two weeks maybe. Yeah. And then done. Right. But when you release it over, you know, each week, you're talking about it while it's on for several months. Yeah. 
and then that conversation continues some amount of time after that. So it just keeps the show in people's minds mm-hmm. a little bit longer, which I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm like, I want to just watch it all this weekend. Yeah. And if I want to do that, I'll just wait till, you know, 10 weeks and the whole, ep- the whole season's come out and then I just binge it. So, yeah. I mean, there's like a loophole to like get around that idea, but you also, yeah, I think it's got an inherent good thing. Yeah, I think, so here's the thing is that I don't hate it, but I also dislike capitalism to where it's like uh, them trying to give you, get you to keep your uh, subscription. And I think that there is that at the bottom line. They're not going to tell you that that's it. They're never going to say, oh, this is why we're doing it. Because they're going to be like, oh, it's because of the reason you just said, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it is true is that, you know, these podcasts that pop around or pop up from shows like the Umbrella Academy, The Boys, right? Or just around these TV shows, right? Supernatural. They, Mm -hmm. these are shows that have been running for a long time, or at least like Umbrella and uh, The Boys, um, with the way The Boys are going now, those podcasts have time to you know, ramp up to the next episode, like, oh, what's going to happen next episode? I don't know. Let's speculate, yeah. right? Rather than just, oh, I binged it all last night. Here's the entire list of everything that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there is a good element to it that, you know, it you don't get everything, and I think that's great because you have to wait for it. And I think that's something that can be said about instant gratification. <laughs> that's a whole other uh, can yeah. of worms. But I think I'm right it, there with you. I think it can be good, but it can also be bad because no one's ever gonna admit, like the company is company is never gonna mention the bad or the I say bad, but they're like, oh, it makes us more money. That's not bad. Um, yeah. So if that means they can make more shows, then okay. Yeah. So let's do it. Give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You hear that, Amazon? I'll direct one of your shows. Okay, you got me. <laughs> I love it. All right, so today's episode, I'm kicking it off because today we're doing a very special episode focused around a guy that I've met on set of a film that I worked on, and I just recognized his just the likability of him and just his overall awesome demeanor of being on set and being excited of the filmmaking process and just his punctuality with everything he was doing, making sure people were, you know, do like with uh, (laughs) with uh, you you derailed me immediately. It's it's Trey. (laughs) It's Trey. I'm talking about Trey. Surprise. Surprise. Yes, we're talking about Trey today, and I will be interviewing him so that we can get to know uh, the hosts a little bit more, a.k.a. Trey. and also All the juicy questions you've been waiting to hear are going to be answered. That's right. All the secrets will be revealed. Just wait. Until after this break. I'm kidding. We don't have breaks. (laughs) Yeah, each week we're going to release one question. (laughs) Each week is one question. Stay tuned. (laughs) Um... But no, I wanted to sit down and interview Trey so we get to get to know each other a little bit more because there's still a lot of stuff I don't really know about you. And sure. I, um, it's been more so professional, you know. Yeah. And uh, so as I said, Trey, 
is one of the guys that whenever I mentioned creating a podcast uh, around film, he instantly popped into my mind because I knew, you know, as someone who can procrastinate a little bit. Um, <laughs> no. No, no. Um, Trey, I knew would help me in the sense that uh, he would keep me focused. Um, and then we can pretty much be each other's backbone for this whole entire production and just keep each other um uh energized throughout the whole entire thing so uh i'm gonna kick off the interview with the question how did you get into film great question i started out around the end of college which was 2013 2014 i started making these short films for a bible study that i was participating in Mm. and me and my roommates, we all attended, so they were kind of my crew, and we'd get together and write these little scripts and make these videos, and it was fun. It was something that kind of made me feel like how I felt when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I would be the camera guy, the actor, the editor, like everything. You know, yeah. you set up your camera, you run around, shoot your bit, <laughs> and you come back, and you cut around it, you know, like... That was that was me as a kid, and any time mm-hmm. in school you could do a film project instead of like a presentation or a report. Like I'm doing the film thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that, that near the end of college, that made me feel that way. And let me preface that by saying I didn't go to college for filmmaking. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a group of people out there that are hear this and be like, "Oh, like there's hope for me." Yes, right. there is. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, Trey's a, a smarty pants. I know this fact about him. He he went to uh he went to college for engineering. Yes, I did. And as rewarding as that can be, and the you know benefits there with that career field, it is not something that I long term want to do for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. And so you pair that with the ability to start making films again, little projects. I wouldn't even, we'll call them videos. That's right. more so what they were. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe this is feasible. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to work this nine to five type of setup till I'm 75 or however old we'll have to be to retire <laughs> when we get there. Yeah. And yeah, I just, uh, we were talking about it before the episode, the 48-hour film projects. Mm-hmm. I dove into a few of those once I was kind of seeking out whatever community there was around Charlotte, and they had a pretty good established 48-hour here. Mm-hmm. And so I got with a few buddies I'd met over the span of a few years there from 2014 mm-hmm. to kind of 2017-ish. So Right. Wasn't doing a ton during that time, but you know, it was kind of building some relationships, and mm-hmm. so we did a forty-eight, and we got you know accepted into the best of, which is kind of like just a narrowing down of all the candidates. Yeah, and we won an award that first year um, mm. for best score, which was shout out to Brian Holt. Uh, been working with him ever since on projects. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was like one of those things where you hear or you see that you can do 
whatever you did in 48 hours with no sleep and minimal resources. Like, you just buy people Chick-fil-A and, like, they do the project. Yeah, <laughs> running on Chick-fil-A. And literally I, stay up for that 48 hours. <laughs> Chick-fil-A and, and monsters. Yeah, that's probably where the addiction started. <laughs> Trey's always got a monster by his side. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think that's really interesting. And I, you had talked about it before, how people can be, you know, you're, you went to school for, what was it, civil engineering? Yeah, civil. C- civil engineering. And that's something that a lot of people are like, why would you, if you like film, why would you do that, right? Um, and I have a lot of friends who do stuff. I have a friend that's, uh, he was a biology major and he studied like, uh, just the electrical impulses in the body and the nervous system. And he loves film and he wants to be an actor. And then my roommate, Gerald, he's, he's studying like geology and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So the earth and then the water cycle and the watershed and all that sort of stuff. And yet he wants to be an actor as well. And so it's, actors are so funny not only actors but just filmmakers in general is the fact that if you're passionate about it it doesn't matter if you're working as like personally as myself as like a runner for a restaurant right now just it doesn't matter what position you're in but it's just for the you know love of it and I think that's what I get from what you're talking about is you just found this love from uh, the study group the bible group and you started doing this um, for the love of it and just seeing what you could do. Yeah, and I think people, maybe like yourself, where you're, you're running food or working like three or four side hustles, like you you tend to expect that mm-hmm. for people that are trying to grind it out in the creative community. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. But then you don't give that same like pass to people working quote-unquote career jobs. Yeah. And it's like, they're not the... They're not different in mm-hmm. the sense that you're trying to earn a living to support yourself. Yeah. And a lot of people have hobbies, and when a hobby becomes a passion, which I think there's a, di- a difference there, mm-hmm. you do whatever you can to pursue that thing. Yeah. So whether it's Gerald you know, doing geology for three or four years to kind of get himself squared away or... Mm-hmm. Me working in the engineering field or whoever it is. Like mm-hmm. Eden, we had her on, you know, doing nursing. So yeah. you just make it work. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I think that's uh, a big thing. So with transitioning out of college, right, what was mm-hmm. that uh, like getting into and experiencing the film industry in Charlotte? You said you were trying to network as much as you could and just getting your foot in the door and just... How has that been for you so far? Yeah, I'll start with saying one of the first people I met again through church was Gavin. Mm -hmm. And we've had him on, so you guys are familiar with him a little bit. But he was kind of my right-hand man starting out because you just don't know who you don't know. Mm -hmm. And like you don't know how to meet people until... Somehow you meet them, you stumble across events or whatever it is, Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, once we started talking more and more, it was kind of like how we talk about like reviewing movies and whatever, just like it transitioned from that to like, well, like I wrote a script. Mm -hmm. You 
know a guy with a camera and yeah. like you know you just start piecing together all the things and mm-hmm. next thing you know you're doing this like five dollar production but you're making something yeah. and like you're achieving a goal and you're taking a step forward and you're slowly coming out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. that was a lot of what we did for several years there right out of school it wasn't anything high level dslr like yeah what is lighting no mm-hmm. lighting <laughs> mics uh let's go with the road like best buy startup <laughs> kit like you know it's just whatever you gotta do to get something on the screen mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that was that was several years of that grind right after college yeah yeah the um i i found that networking is an enigmatic ability that people have and in the film industry it's something that you definitely you know need to hone in on and it's not something that is necessarily you know you can't predict it and i think that you just have to be able to go with the flow most of the time and the fact that you know when you see somebody that you want to work with let them know and even if they aren't going to work with you now and maybe you don't get a response at least your name came across the screen and maybe, you know, you connect with them in another way. Right. Yeah. Um, so has that been your experience with people in Charlotte, the uh, industry, like just going to these film fests, submitting to these sorts of things and just meeting these different types of uh, creators? Yeah. I think when you are at these events and you meet people immediately, you're either asking them what project they did or they're asking you what project you've or if it's not one of those types of events or a festival you're talking about whatever you did last or maybe what you might be doing next mm-hmm. and depending on how those conversations go you decide I'm going to grab this person's number their business card whatever it is because mm-hmm. you don't even have a project in mind generally I don't but if someone's really cool and we're connecting then I get their contact because yeah you know, you never know. You, you never know. You might work with them in the future. So there's those types of conversations, and that's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, ninety percent of those you might never talk to, which is fine. Yeah. But in that conversation, you'll stumble across someone that you just really gel with, mm-hmm. and like your next project, you're like, oh, yeah. like you, you, you're gonna fill that spot. You don't know <laughs> it yet, but I'm gonna have you in my next project. Yeah. And those are really fun to stumble across. Because you, not only are you like filling a a spot in your production, but you're making a friend Mm -hmm. and you're kind of extending your network through their circle as well. Mm -hmm. And they're extending their network through your circle. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of one of those uh, win-win, non-parasitical connections that you make. And that's been a lot of what I've seen in Charlotte because there's a lot of people at this level, the mm-hmm. indie level or below, mm-hmm. and everyone just wants to make projects. Everyone just wants to work, and yeah. I think that's really been nice, especially starting out, because mm-hmm. you don't have anything to offer. Like, right. who am I? Mm-hmm. No one. Who are they? I don't know. Maybe there's someone, but yeah. they're willing to work with me, and that's cool enough. Yeah. <laughs> so they gave me a shot. I'm going to give them a shot, and... Mm-hmm. If you click, you work together again. If you don't, yeah, 
move on and no mm-hmm. hard feelings. So yeah, you had, you yeah. had touched on a topic earlier that I thought was extremely interesting, and we we had talked about it uh, before as well. It's just getting out and creating your own content and doing stuff. Uh, being creative at all times. And we had talked about this before the interview is final draft and writing your own stuff, right? And just getting the stuff out of your head onto paper and then at least going through the process of producing something, right? And so mm-hmm. you said that's what you had done with the uh, the study group and you had uh, created your own stuff, ideated. So how did that evolve after you got out of the out of uh, school? Was that something that you immediately were like, okay, well, I want to devote more time to thinking through projects and making these things come to my as much in my mind fruition as possible? Or, and, you know, how did that evolve coming out of school? It was not nearly as clean as you're laying it out Um, (laughs) for me i if i do procrastinate at all it's in this department because i only tend to work on whatever i think i'm gonna do next Mm -hmm. i historically haven't really backlogged a lot of story ideas and gotten the scripts out of my head Mm -hmm. but yeah i Let's say I was going to shoot a short, like I would sit down, write that short, and then just do it. Like, there wasn't any, like, waiting for the time to be right or, mm-hmm. like, letting it marinate for a while and then you come back and revisit it and mm-hmm. you rewrite the whole thing because you realize it was terrible. Yeah. I say that with a preface of, in my opinion, that's wrong. Right. Because you need that time to let it marinate. You need that time to shoot it around to some uh, respected colleagues mm-hmm. and let them read it and provide their insight because unless you're Aaron Sorkin, like, you probably wrote a dud. Yeah. Like, that first draft every time. Yeah. Even he will admit, like, several drafts of his stuff's garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in his eyes. It's probably brilliant to me. Yeah. But, yeah, I... I've since transitioned to writing a lot of backlogged projects and kind of coming to them periodically and mm-hmm. freshening them up and yeah, kind of waiting for the right people to come into my life and letting the projects be a little more organic mm-hmm. versus like I'm making something in two months, writing it, because that kind of smothers the creativity mm-hmm. for anyone, I think, and Specifically, me, I'm very organized, OCD, uh, scientific-minded mm-hmm. guy, like, because of my work. Yeah. And so, therefore, that's how I approach writing, and mm-hmm. I have to get away from that enough to stay organized, yeah. but kind of let a script go and have its own life for six months, and then Mm-hmm. come back around to it an example is a script i've been writing for a while all the way back to college even and that's right. however long that is six years yeah so i started it then wow and within the past two months have almost rewritten it mm. about half of it just because 
you get new eyes on it and Mm -hmm. you've lived a little bit more of your life and you want to make the best possible thing, right? Like that's the goal. And if you don't give it that time, there's just a chance you're going to miss that. And that's something I've had to learn. I think we all have to learn that in our own way, whatever that process is, because it's not right or wrong. It's just how good can this idea be? Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. It's like you get to a dead end. Yeah, I like that uh, you brought that up in the fact that many times, um, and this goes with what we talked about with networking and just creating stuff in general, is many people, they'll ask the question of how do I get started in the film industry or how do I get started in podcasting or how do I get started in making artistic endeavors? How do I get started in all this sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. And many people... It's almost like it's become a cliche, but many people, they're just like, you got to go do it. You know, you just got to get out there and you got to do it, even if it's only you. And even if it's only you, that's going to see it. Right. And you had talked about that a little bit in the fact that, you know, it you got out and you made your own stuff in the uh, study group. And then when it comes to, we, we talked about it in a previous podcast with, I believe, Gavin presenting your material, is that much of this material, and I talked about this with another friend, but a bunch of this material is only your perception of the story. And uh, for you, it's getting out there, creating a story, and it's your story. No one else has to, you know, no one has to understand it. Right. But it's your story. And I think that's something that is very important. And you had talked about it as well is just, you know, writing the story and not worrying about if it's right or wrong, but just getting out there and doing it. Right. Yeah. I, I'll use my film Disconnect as an example. That was my first kind of larger short film production. And you write the script, you get it to a place, and you get a few people on board, which will probably be your producers or some above line type folks that are going to help you make it because they understand the vision that you have and you're going to send it to them and they're going to get down with it and help you work on it from there. And you're going to send it to other people and they're going to be like, I just, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here and you're not going to work with them on that project and that's fine. And then you're going to get through the production and you're going to release it and you're going to have people see it and they're going to love it. Mm-hmm. they're gonna cry they're gonna say i that character is me like i i totally related to that mm-hmm. that's my demographic right there yeah yeah you're gonna have another group of people that say it's kind of boring mm-hmm. didn't do much for me right that's not my dem- <laughs> demographic <laughs> that's not what you're shooting for and that's just how it is with every single project maybe it's wider or more narrow depending on how stylized or specific it is mm-hmm. but you just gotta kind of get over being a people pleaser, right. which I am in general. Mm-hmm. So it's been tough. I want to make like universally acceptable projects and mm-hmm. that's not a thing. Like uh, yeah. Avengers Endgame is maybe the closest thing, right? <laughs> but if you're not making Avengers, you're making something that has a specific audience. And yeah. to try and please everyone is just an unobtainable goal and I would mm-hmm. recommend no one try and do that in right. general in life just it saves you a not lot even of anxiety and stress yeah and <laughs> i had to learn that you know like a lot of us do the hard way so. right so i want to talk about 
the projects that you've worked on as well. So you'd mentioned Disconnect. Um, that was not your first Rodeo doing producing, right? Or was that your first at that level, right? Yeah, that was the first at that sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually sparked a lot of projects that I worked on after that mm-hmm. in just a producer role. Yeah. Because now someone could see like what could come from me mm-hmm. and a project that I kind of wore many hats on. Yeah. And prior to that, um, I hadn't really, they were very localized projects and there wasn't inherently a need to have a larger production to do mm-hmm. those. So I tend to just start with Disconnect now and move forward. Mm-hmm. even though there was maybe a handful of smaller things. We did this one yeah. thing that was really cool called Transmit mm-hmm. for um, Moment. Like right. They make the lenses for iPhones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had a competition, and you just had to use their lenses, and mm-hmm. you submitted to it. And we did kind of a cool, like, slightly post-apocalyptic thing, and um, I'm actually pretty happy with it. Shot mm-hmm. it on my iPhone, so there again just going out and making your own stuff yeah and we didn't need any money we didn't need like i already had all the stuff we didn't need any additional things and we made it mm-hmm. it was an intriguing story so like yeah. stories got to be there mm-hmm. and you just do a lot of things like that for a while and eventually when you do find money or you save money or you run into a millionaire in an elevator and they're like happened to oh you're a filmmaker (laughs) i have a lot of extra money which will never happen but (laughs) anyway don't don't count (laughs) your eggs before they hatch if that happens then (laughs) you know you have a lot more to manage at that point but it's just about scaling it up i mean Mm -hmm. avengers i'll go to that again that's like a thousand smaller films mm-hmm. like let's just like scale that by a thousand and th- yeah. there you are so it, it's just quantity changes yeah and there's uh we kind of been hinting at it but i want to get your idea of moving into the more professional side of filmmaking and you know from you know you're we're we're talking mainly about independent stuff and that's still not top of the top cream of the crop pro stuff but mm-hmm. we're talking about not just going out with an iPhone, which maybe you still do just to get concepts and other such to work out. But when you're sitting there breaking down a script, finding out how you're going to produce it, what's going to go on with this, right? You're, you're making sure you have people there on the right days. You're getting all this stuff together. I feel like that's something that, you know, there's something to be said about uh, achieving more and uh, just constantly trying to improve and reach new heights is that something that you would say is still true with what you do now absolutely it's a scary thought to imagine someone going from any level before like where i'm at Mm -hmm. to directing any hollywood film right and i know that's how it seems to the public when you see this first time director Mm -hmm. they have they don't have anything on their imdb and then they have this is a terrible example because it's not true, but Saving Private Ryan, let's just use that. Yeah. Obviously, that was Spielberg. <laughs> but let's say someone lands at caliber of a movie and mm-hmm. you don't know them, you haven't heard of yeah. them. That's not their first rodeo, probably. Yeah, There's probably an indie feature that was pretty well made at a semi-high budget that they 
did successfully, did mm-hmm. a festival run with. Someone found them, saw them, whatever it was. And they kind of had that stepping stone. Mm-hmm. It's all like progressional. Yeah. And generally, I found, at least with directing, you're not going to skip steps. Because mm-hmm. there's no amount of money that you can spend to increase what you can offer someone as a director other than putting that money into learning more Mm -hmm. or to doing more projects. It's not like I buy, in the case of someone that just provides a service, Mm -hmm. like a gaffer or a grip or a location sound mixer. There's a learning in all of that, of course, Mm -hmm. and time on set. That's obviously very important, but I can't buy any gear or equipment to do my job better. Mm-hmm. I have to just work on projects that are interesting and learn as much as I can from colleagues or videos or courses, master classes, whatever you can do, yeah. books, and kind of luck. I mean, at some point, you just hope you land in the right room with the right people, and maybe you have a friend that knows a project that you're perfect for and they recommend you. Yeah. But until you realize that you have to continually hone your skills, we talked about this with Eden mm-hmm. as an actor, like you're always learning, always trying to improve. Yeah. It's the same way with directing. Like you don't just say I'm a director and I'm going to make something like Denny Villeneuve just because I think I'm a director and I'm just waiting for my opportunity. No. Yeah. Like, you got to work up to it. You have to have a creative drive, certainly, mm-hmm. which maybe yours is better than everyone's. Right. I don't think mine is. Mm-hmm. But I think I work really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think I want it really bad. Yeah. So therefore, I put in the time, the effort, the work. Yeah. And I'm in a pool with thousands of other people. Yeah. So it's just got to be the right pool. Yeah. And the r- right person that wants to pick out of that pool. And they pick me and... That's like the professional jump is mm-hmm. you search out for certain projects. You probably apply a lot and then you find that one that kind of allows you to break out. And yeah. I think it only takes one, to be honest. Yeah. There's a great quote that I like to keep in mind whenever I'm doing something, uh, whether it's acting, especially acting, but just anything I do in general. And uh, this goes to talking about meeting that, uh, let's say you just happen to step in the elevator with like, you know, Steven Spielberg, right? Yeah. Step into the elevator with them. And um, he's like, oh, you know, you mentioned, oh, I'm a huge fan. I really love this part of, you know, Saving Private Ryan. I think it was fantastic the way this was uh, shot and then directed as well. I thought it really hit home with me and I loved the message you sent with it. And so that is doing the preparation just to know, like, you know, I love his films and everything. And that's genuine interest. That's not trying to use him at all. That's just telling you, telling him that's what I like. You don't want anything. You're just establishing that you admire his work. Yeah. And then where uh, my quote would come in, the quote is luck is where opportunity and preparation meet. And it, it pretty much is like, when you're doing something uh, new, so I talked to a friend of mine just the other day that was um, wanting to be an actor, and he was like, so how do you, you know, if I don't have much on my resume, like, how do I 
Like, will people take a risk on me? And, you know, the straight answer is that people will look at your resume and be like, you know, he doesn't seem to have much uh, time on set. But there are many people out there that will give you a shot, regardless of if you don't have anything or not. But if you are have that situation in the elevator and you tell them, oh, yeah, I've worked on small projects and I've, I've really had this passion for like this certain style of filmmaking and directing. And it's just something that speaks to me personally. Right. This sort of uh, message you're trying to get across in like this film or you love messing around with these types of ideas and concepts. Um that gets them interested in you and your projects and everything. And that's the preparation in that whole entire thing is like preparation and uh, opportunity meet, right? You have the mm -hmm. opportunity of talking to Steven Spielberg and you have the preparation of, oh, I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's where luck happens is when that pops off. And you had talked about that as well, is that when you're working with people or new people, um, you know, even if you don't know them, if you can see that they're very driven and that they even still have like projects that they've worked on, but they're not at a huge level. Right. Maybe maybe they're even just like, oh, here's like a concept I shot on my phone that's still putting forth effort and showing that they had the preparation of, mm -hmm. oh, I at least got out and did something right. Rather than yeah. just saying, I want to be a director and saying, I expect to be let into that room when there's a whole mile long, two mile long, three mile long line yeah. of people waiting. Get in line, bro. That have been trying to do that for years. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough the preparation portion of that. I mean, opportunities, you can create your own opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do with making short films right now. Mm -hmm. I'm creating my own opportunities. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not prepared, even in those opportunities, yeah, they're going to be wastes of time and money on mm -hmm. my end. I'm going to waste other people's time and money. Yeah. And so I, that's why I think pre-production is so important, even at such a small level. Oh, yeah. You might be making something and everyone's volunteering and there's, we'll say, zero budget. Yeah. But if you didn't do pre-pro, yeah. like you just wasted time. You just yeah. shot for three days for no reason. Your project's not going to, like the story's not there. You know, things aren't going to line up to yeah. the level that they should. And it's okay if you only have two projects on your resume and mm -hmm. you hand it to someone. Yeah. And they, let's say they like the format, so they click on your link there and they go to your Vimeo and they check out your videos and they love them. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. But you could also have 20 projects on there and they're hot trash, and they watch half of one of them and turn it off, and they just say, no. Yeah. Yeah, it, and I, I, I love that you had mentioned that, too, about the pre-production, because whether it's acting or directing or producing, like, you have to love the nitty-gritty, right? It's Especially not, producing. And somebody I remember had said, you're only, like, if you're an actor, you're only acting for, like, 30 to a, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe two minutes at a time. You're not, yeah, you're not doing it, and sometimes you won't get a job for, like, months, 
So mm-hmm. the acting acting portion in front of the camera is very slim, but the entire process of being an actor or being a director is your lifestyle. And right. I love that you had brought up the thing about pre-production is the fact that people don't like to do pre-production. They just like to run and gun and do stuff. But it's very important to do pre-production because when you get out there and you don't have a plan, it's it starts to fall apart. And I, I had, It's already going to fall apart with a plan. So <laughs> it's better to have one than to have it just all fall apart. Yeah. And the analogy that popped into my mind was it's like you're trying to drive with a dirty windshield. And it's like... <laughs> If you ha- if you take the time and the effort to clean the window, right? It's Without gonna make windshield your- wipers. Yes, windshield wipers come in handy. They uh, then it you know it goes a lot smoother, right? You can see what you're doing a little bit better. But if you don't, you're just driving blind at that point. Um, yeah. So I th- I think that's fantastic, and it touches on the point of where it goes from being a hobby to being a profession. Right. And I think this parallels a lot with our episode uh, from Eden on acting because it doesn't matter what vein you're wanting to go down. Mm-hmm. If you don't strive to do a good job and to work at it, you're just not going to get there. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how talented creatively you think you are or what you think you bring to the table. Yeah. You have to put in the effort. And when you spend six months planning to shoot for four days, Mm -hmm. think about that ratio. Like, how much of the project, to your point about acting, too, how much of it's actually spent shooting? Yeah. Very, very small portion of time. Mm -hmm. How much more after that is in post? A very, very big (laughs) amount of time. So... Like, like right a, in the middle fl- there. It's like a flicker of a flame in a storm. It's just like it's on for a second and then it's off. Yeah. And I mean, with features even, a lot of them at a smaller level, you know, you're shooting a month, 20, 30 days kind of thing if you're on a really tight schedule. Mm-hmm. Bigger movies will get maybe a few months. Yeah. And again, that's no comparison to the three years beforehand they were planning everything mm-hmm. and a year and a half in post or more yeah. to get everything tied up. So if you're not planning, you're doing it wrong. I will say that that's like a definite thing. Like yeah. I'll take that to the bank. Yeah. There's another quote that was like, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm going to get a tattoo on my, inside of my lip that says so i can look at it every morning yeah that's something that uh i've learned a lot more um going through school and everything i know i had mentioned i do procrastinate a good chunk of the time but whenever i sit down and i work on a project there's something that is just inherently it feels right about doing that because it's like you're paying forward your future self right you're Mm -hmm. you're taking the burden off of your future self. And um, I just think that's fantastic that you brought that up about... Everyone's familiar with testing. Mm -hmm. Everyone's taking a test in their life. Yeah. If you show up to the test having not studied, one, you had a photographic memory and shame on you. (laughs) How dare you? You should be isolated to an island in the middle of the the Pacific or something. Or two, you're hoping that 
everything you already knew shows up on the test. So you're gambling. Yeah. Which, all right, let's leave that there. Mm-hmm. The other option is you studied. Yeah. So you show up and you're like, it doesn't matter what's on this test, anything in these topic areas, anything in these subject matters, crushing it. Yeah. Like you're just prepared. Mm-hmm. Everyone's done that. Everyone knows the outcome of either one for however yeah. their personality is. I don't know why that wouldn't translate to anything in life after that. Yeah. You do it in school for 18, 22, 28 years, however long you're in school. Mm-hmm. And then you get out in the real world and you're like, oh, I just kind of stumble into this and uh, hope something works out. Right. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. No. <laughs> you have to. You have to prep. You have to put in the time. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And the uh, one one thing that I relate to is um, as and I think that goes back to you talking about being an engineer while also trying to be a filmmaker at the same time, because when you're being an engineer, you're not 100 percent an engineer. You're a filmmaker as well. Right. Your mind is not 100 percent. Well, when you're at work, hopefully, so you don't. Mess up civil engineering, please. Right. Um, <laughs> you have to right. turn on and off certain compartments. Yeah. So, uh, but you're you're doing other stuff as well. You're also thinking about film as well and what you can do. And it's almost like this. Let's let's say there's a hierarchy, right? Like let's say there's a triangle hierarchy, right? Pyramid, and the overarching one is filmmaking right mm-hmm. that's the passion that's what you want your life to be culminated around and you want your you right. know that sort of because that's for me like acting creating filmmaking all that's overarching but if i turn out to be a designer as well like a graphic designer i'm not just a graphic designer i graphic design to help pay the bills and then also an artistic outlet as well I think mm-hmm. that was something that you had talked about before uh, in the fact that, you know, you, you're when you're an I- engineer, you're not just an engineer, you know, and right. there's this it's almost like you're driving a ship. Right. And it's pointed towards being a creative filmmaking, um, that sort of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you're you're on your way to that. But there might be some places where you have to maneuver around different obstacles. Right. Sure. So. I, I like to think about it in as simple a terms as possible, which helps me with everything. Break it down <laughs> as simply as I can. Yes. As an individual person, you're a lot of different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're married, so you're also a husband. Maybe you mm-hmm. have kids, so you're a father or a mother. Maybe you are some role in your church, so mm-hmm. you're that to a certain group of people. Yeah. Maybe you're on a YMCA softball team. Mm-hmm. So you're also a player and whatever that is. Yeah. We're not just like tied to one thing. And mm-hmm. I know there's people that are really passionate about their career paths. Mm-hmm. But even those people, when they come home from being a exec at Bank of America and they love it, yeah, they got to be something to someone. Mm-hmm. At a minimum, they're a son or daughter to parents mm-hmm. or something like that. So to get so tied up in the idea that 
you can only do one thing or that you can't have passions or have other things that you can do equally as well. Yeah. Um, I think is a myth. Mm-hmm. And I'll, to that point, though, I'll say, and this is something I believe wholeheartedly, you can do a lot of things okay, right. maybe even good, but you can only do a few things great. Mm-hmm. And so within that, there are certain restrictions, and you know, I don't think you can be an airline pilot like, uh, I don't know, in the CIA be a preacher at a church mm-hmm. an actor and then like an exec at bank of america i don't think you can do all those at the same time and be successful right, right. but maybe you can do two of them mm-hmm. and do them really well yeah and crush it and so i think that's literally every creative is either they're able to do the one thing all the time mm-hmm. or they're able to do that one thing plus one or two other things mm-hmm. to allow them to do the one thing yeah and it's just whatever your path is i mean it's going to be so different i mean even me and you like our paths are totally different Mm -hmm. if you're doing your career job graphic designing Mm -hmm. well that's way different than what i'm doing but we're both trying to be creative yeah and we have in my opinion equal uh percent chance of doing that Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think the final question that i'll have for you um pertains to just creativity in general and this is something that i struggle with uh on my own and i contemplate daily is what is success for you as an artist what is that because i know a lot of people they'll be like oh i haven't made it until i'm working on a movie with the rock and i i'm i'm leaving (laughs) the film you know what i mean like that i feel like success is something that's very hard to define but I want to get to know, like, what is your definition of success in artistry? Ooh, you got like 45 minutes left on this. <laughs> now, for me, mine kind of stems from this idea that I have when I watch a movie that I really love. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, The Spectacular Now is one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies you watch, and when you're a creator, you're like, if I just made that one movie, I could like not make anything ever again. Yeah. And in that same vein, I kind of find my success because I don't have these goals of winning Oscars and Emmys and working with X, Y, and Z famous people. Mm-hmm. I just don't, mainly because I'm a realist and I know that percentages of doing those things are not necessarily high. Yeah. Just like how many people play sports in school and then how many of those people play in the NBA? Yeah, professional. So that's kind of what we're looking at here is how many of these creative people, all with talent, are going to end up working with Martin Scorsese? Mm -hmm. A very small pool. Yeah. And that's fine. You can be completely successful outside of that Mm -hmm. and check all your boxes. Yeah. So for me, my only box right now and this may change, is I want to make a feature-length film mm-hmm. that is distributed to theaters. It doesn't yeah. matter how many theaters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what budget the film has. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be a story that I really want to tell. Yeah. And I want it to 
be a message I really want to get out into the world. Mm-hmm. And so getting into a theater is certainly succeeding, in my opinion. Yeah. And as a kid, that might seem like an unobtainable goal because you watch Terminator 2 and you're like, well, how the freak am I ever going to put Terminator 2 out in the theater? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll hmm. make Avatar 14 or whatever right. it ends up being. I heard that slated for like three <laughs> years from now. Right. <laughs> or maybe you just make Trey's film and it distributes to 500 theaters. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for me. I, yeah. I would, because like all I want to do with my platform is tell stories that are impactful to people. Mm-hmm. So my goal is always just to get people to see it. Right. If I become YouTube famous, mm-hmm. and that's how I can do it, then okay. Yeah. If I can do it through theatrical releases, okay. Yeah. You know, whatever that avenue is to have my projects be seen by people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that, you know, we as artists, there needs to be clear defined objectives that you want to hit because if you don't set goals, I feel like sometimes it could be you get lost in the weeds and you're kind of like, why was I doing this in the first place? So I love that you have that goal of getting something into theaters and just that uh, specific of a goal because that's something that you can work towards. It might be years from now, right? I highly expect this to be at least a decade out. Mm -hmm. Like I just have already let that sink into myself. Yeah. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. I think that's great because, you know, artistry and just creating is not something that happens once you get big and then you just sail. I think it's something that's, it's a culmination of a lifetime lived for creating and just wanting to be in communion with other people creating great stuff, right? And I think that even after you reach that goal, I think there's still going to be more of like, okay, so now I'm going to shoot for it again and see if I can get another message across because I got the script, right? I think that's yeah. great. See if lightning strikes twice. Yeah. I mean, it's worth a shot. Nice. All right. Well, Trey, thank you so much for sitting down with me and uh, talking with me. <laughs> um, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. You gave a lot of great insight. And uh, I know a lot of people watching this are going to really enjoy it because, you know, it wasn't, you know, we've dropped little bits and pieces of ourselves. But hopefully with these episodes, uh, we'll get to know each other a little bit more uh, about our artistry and also just personality as well how we see the world right absolutely and i'm excited for our audience to hear all about you next so Mm. we'll put you in the hot seat i think you already got the little gist that i can speak for hours so (laughs) (laughs) i have to just cut you off mid-sentence okay we gotta go to the next one please hit the points hit me with the points But all right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed that. And stay tuned for next week's episode. We have our Instagram. You can follow us at The Cinevibes. And then for the email, you can hit us at cinevibescast at gmail.com. So thank you so much again for listening. And 
人。